0: Now over to Pastor Steve.
1: So having said that, I'm preparing you for one of the last, I believe, messages that we're going to have on the hero within. Not that that means that the language of heroes is going to ever go away at Beloved Church. That's, That's who we are this wasn't this wasn't a cool series so i could build content for somebody 10 years from now that i can sell that is wretched that people consider that way of doing the kingdom i don't do that this is because i believe the lord has this for us and you can accept it or reject it i believe that because we're here together in this unique time, in this unique phase of human existence, and in this unique place, that you're really the one that God wants to see being raised up as a hero. And I pray that you embrace that. So this is message 25 of The Hero Within. And I want to remind you that this is about, if you remembered, Superman had his, his, uh, his statement, his motto, truth, justice, and the American way. I think that was Superman. Am I right? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, this is not, we're not doing cartoons. We're doing Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says truth, because he is the truth, justice, which is one of the, the premier virtues of God and his kingdom. It's one of the last statements in the book of Micah. It's one of the last statements in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the, whenever you get to the end of most of the stories where God kind of synopsizes things, he says, so then what is the whole duty of man? Be just. It's, it's funny how this justice thing is um, it's so real and raw and important to us when it's about us. But when it's about someone else, we're like, you know, I hope they get that. Good luck praying for you. God is a God of justice. And the thing that's unique to me about that is that he doesn't need justice for him. His passion His supernatural drive for justice has nothing to do with him and everything to do with us. That means if we have God's heart for justice, that means it's about your neighbor and not you. Some of you struggling with offense and unforgiveness right there, that might be the thing that could take you over the top. It's not about justice for you. about you seeking the justice of people around you. Truth, justice, and the kingdom way is the motto of the heroes of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom way. As Bob said earlier, that's upside down. Man, I love those verses that he used. And I don't know if you could, I don't know if I'm going to mess you up, then don't put them up. But when he was in the passion on Luke chapter 16, I think it was verse 10. This is, this is one of those scriptures that I reference all the time to people. I'm like, hey, if you can't do your money right, you can't do nothing right. That's what Jesus said. And people always like get angry at me. I've had people literally stomp their foot and walk off. I'm like, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Send him an email if you don't like it. I don't know what to tell you. But if you, are, if you cannot be faithful with little things, you will never be faithful in big things. In the United States of Steve Castle, some, some of you have heard me talk about this. I have, I literally have a note on my phone where if I'm ever given a, a kingdom, a nation, a country, I've already got all the rules. One of the rules in the United States of Steve Castle is that you have to have an application to be a parent. <laughs> I, not. because of what I've seen parents do to children in the United States of Steve Castle you would have to apply and you would have to prove that you're faithful in little things like money God morality truth integrity before you're ever going to be allowed to form another person's worldview. But in today's world, not so much. Amen. If you got a convenience store and a couple, of, no, I'm not. I'm we're raising heroes that are committed to truth, justice, and the kingdom way. The kingdom way. This is part of the kingdom way. Being faithful in little things. We. Everybody, I don't know if it's everybody, but this is a major cry in the world is, I want to be promoted. I want more. I almost stood up here and started this way where I would have said, who wants more? And then I would have waited for three quarters of the room like, me, man, me, I want more. Are you being faithful what you got? Shut up. Just give me more. It's It's for real. It it is regular in our society to take the things that we have, completely devalue them, trash them, destroy them, and then be begging God for more stuff. This is normal in our world. It can only be normal for a people that have more prosperity than they know what to do with. I don't know. I'm super struggling right now. I I believe that the Lord wants to to take us into some deep waters, but man, I'm I'm tenuous. Cause I only got so many life jackets and if I see someone drowning. But I do want you to consider the fact I'll back up. Stacy was um, lovingly kind of poking at me the other day when we were chatting, she's like, I've learned and some of the other people in your life have learned that for about two, three weeks after you get back from another country, we kind of need to keep you at arm's length. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm not any different when I get back from a third world nation. She's like, okay. And I, I honestly chewed on it. And it's legit. When I'm with people who spend 16 hours a day just figuring out how to get one meal right. and not have their children naked. And then I fly. My trip back was a sacrifice unto the Lord. It took me almost 40 hours to get home when I left Kenya because I had, it's a whole mess. And so then I'd spend 40 hours getting back, I'm in a messed up time zone, you're, your brain's upside down and, you're, and I got back and it was like wham right into Saturday and then I'm preaching. And I stand up here and I am not fully in America yet. I still got a little piece like hanging out there ready to rubber band and snap back. And then I preach, I preach my heart out like I want everybody, everybody, every time to just get it all, just suck it dry so there's nothing left. Like Paul said, I, I, I want to I give everything that I am completely away so I am totally spent. That was the words that Paul used. And I, and I stand up here ready to do that, to literally give every part of me to where then I'm just done and I collapse as a, as a useless, empty vessel. And I, and I, especially when I get back from another nation, I'm like, come on, come on, you can do it. I believe in you. Take it, suck it. And... Afterwards, somebody will come up and and I'm making this up. I'm making it up. Somebody will come up and like, Pastor, please pray for me. I had a super terrible month because I had a hangnail. And I don't know what a spiritual body slam looks like. (laughs) But there's a fleeting thought It leaves, it leaves, it leaves. I don't do nothing, I smile. But I want you to consider what is really, really terrible in your life right now compared to spending 16 hours trying to put one meal for your family on a table and making sure your kids aren't naked. Living in a place with no electricity, no water, no sewer. No government, praise God. But ain't nobody helping you out. Ain't nobody coming to bail you out. It's 16 hours. You get one meal or you don't. You go hungry. And then to stand up here sometimes and to try to filter through ministering to a people. Not, I'm not saying this um, specifically. I'm saying this generically. Ministering to a people in America. In a time that has never, ever been more prosperous, ever. In the history of mankind, you are the most prosperous people that has ever drawn breath. And the freest people that have ever drawn breath. There is no human being outside of this time that has ever lived as good as the human beings in this time. And in America, 58% of every American is on either illegal or legal drugs to deal with their terrible life, 58% prescription or not. And so the culture shock for me to be in Africa where they, it probably would, you you could make a case for numbing them to the pain that their life experiences daily, moment by moment, daily pain. You could almost make a case for like, man, just get high. Just make the pain go away for one day to come to a place where relatively we've never experienced pain relatively and we have to have all the things and the stuff to help us numb to the terrible lives that we have I never really considered it I never really thought about it until Stacy is like We've all learned, the people that are close to me. And I pray this isn't so... I pray she's so intimate with me, she knows my soul so well, that that's just, just one thing that maybe her and maybe two other people picked up on. So if I accidentally drop that on anyone where you're like, man, Steve just got back, let's just go ahead and stay away. <laughs> Jesus, we love him. He's wonderful. So if I if I projected that and you... Thought that in any way I was being unempathetic, uncompassionate, un- not understanding your situation. If, if, if I did that to anyone, I apologize, I repent. And I mean that. That's sincere. I mean that. Because I don't want to be that way. This is the people that God's called me to minister to until I'm there. <laughs> and then I come back. I'll always be here. Be, they're going to bury me in a cornfield in Stevenson County somewhere another 50, 60, 70 years from now when they would figure out how to get the breath out of my lungs. It's going to be hard. They're going to have to fight hard. If they, if they get a big enough group, they might be able to martyr me. But until then, I'm going to be preaching my heart out right here with you all. But I am going to go see how the rest of the world lives. Also in the United States of Steve Castle, every Christian has to go and live in a third world nation for at least three weeks it's required in the United States of Steve Castle now you're not there you you know what you can do you can go home today you can spend all evening thanking Jesus that you're in America and not the United States of Steve Castle (laughs) but you are you are positioned by God for such a time as this in in this nation, at this time, at this era, with these people, with this knowledge. And this is not accidental. And I know some of you are just thinking like I just totally stumbled into this part of the world and you know someone drug me into this church and I don't give a rip of what what you got to say. Okay, that's what you think. Heaven might have a different perspective. So I pray that you take these things with maybe some of the passion that you know or you don't know that I'm releasing them. And you allow the Holy Spirit to really fully develop you into what he has always ordained for you to be. And one of those things is a hero. Our world is desperately short for heroes. And I am nearly desperate to make them be birthed in this place in your heart. The godly people in the land, they are my true heroes, is what God says. Psalm chapter 16, verse 3. The godly people in the land, what land? Any land you got. This is one of those statements that's as true about us today as it was the day that it was uttered by the prophet. God needed heroes the day that this was uttered, and God needs heroes today. And I dare say that you are the people that God has chosen for this message. Please don't think for a moment that I was chilling at the house one day, eating Doritos and Drink and Diet Dr. Pepper, and I was like, oh, man, you know what would be a great series? Superman pulling his shirt open and me saying, heroes, that would be awesome. Woohoo! This is gonna be really popular. If there's one thing that you know about me, please, Allow this thought to be developed. I'm not if it's popular I'll almost not do it on purpose. When I was in high school I had to be popular and it nearly destroyed my life. It took me into some of the most terrible things that I could ever possibly getting myself into and it was all for the pursuit of popular. So now I no longer want to be popular with the world I want to be pleasing to God. And if I was willing to give that much effort to be popular in high school, how much more effort can I give to my God to be pleasing to him? I take pleasure in that. The second half of the verse. How much effort am I going to give? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And I want you to consider where your lines are. I will give God up to this point. I'll give God up to my money. I'll give God up to my diet. I'll give God, I need to not look at people. I'll give God up to my addiction. I'll give God up to my sleep. I'll give God up to my, I'll give God up to my Whatever that line is, that's the one that a hero has to fly over. That's your line. The difference between you being human and a hero is that line. And some people won't even challenge it. I'll guarantee you the people that are either in the world or in worldly churches aren't being pressured with that. And this is a godly pressure. I'm going to prove that in a minute. They're not being pressured with that. Most of them are just like, hey, you're so awesome. You're pretty. Love your hair. Just keep on keeping on, kitten. Just hang in there. You'll make it. God didn't want us to be a monkey hanging on a branch. Hanging in there. We are meant to rule and to reign, to be the image of God, to be the bearers of his image and his likeness in this world. Oh, praise God. That was way better in my heart than it was in the response. Whatever part of your life that you've given over to just okay, to just normal, to just E can buy to whatever you got, soul, money, your relationships, if it's just okay. You guys, most of you have learned that when I greet you in the morning and I say, hey, how are you? And you say, okay, I'm always like, okay. So most of you have figured it out. I'm blessed. I'm awesome. Highly favored. I'm incredible. I floated here on a cloud. Oh, (laughs) good, (laughs) Arizona. But I know you're giving me kind of the response that I want cuz I poked back. But if we were if we pulled the curtain away and the and, and the question was true and it was from Jesus and he knew your heart, would you actually answer, oh, "I'm okay?" Okay's not the goal. Okay, I'm going to get to this cuz that's not going that's that sucker sank like the Titanic, broken two. We'll find it in 50 years. Colossians 1:20. Sorry, don't want to get into the conspiracy theory about the Titanic. Colossians 1:27. Just so you know, every conspiracy theory is pretty much fact, and then all the facts tend to be conspiracy theories at this point in the game. Colossians 1:27 in the CEV. God did this because He wanted you, beloved, to understand. To understand. Not to not understand, but to understand. So many people think God is this way, like, hey, I got a bunch of information, but I ain't sharing it with you, stupid. That is the exact opposite of a good father. A good father is, hey, I've got a bunch of stuff, and I totally want to share it with you. But I need you to kind of grow up, because some of the things that I give you, if you're not grown up and I give them to you, you could hurt yourself or someone else. So I want to give you all this stuff. And I'm waiting for you to not be a trust fund kid so I can trust you with the business. He wa- Amen. Good work. He wants you to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. And the mystery is that Christ lives in you. Man, we, we're so, it's almost like we've become inoculated to a statement like that. Yeah, 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 Christ lives in me. Christ. The Christ, the savior of the whole world. The one that 4000 years worth of human history looked forward to. Man, one day Christ is coming. The Messiah is going to come. And whoa, what a day that's going to be. And then we get on the other side of Christ coming, we're like, "Nah, Christ is in me." How about that weather? Christ is in you. And I'm whew, going back to my adolescence. Christ is in you. <laughs> and the mystery is that Christ lives in you and he is your hope of sharing in God's glory. What is your hope in? Now you're in church. I get it. Spiritual answers are flowing like water. But really, what is your hope in? If I showed up, surprisingly, in your living room Thursday at 8.30 with the kids screaming, and I said, what is your hope? I hope I don't kill a kid before evening. (laughs) Don't, do yourself a favor, don't answer really important questions in times That may not be authentic. Something you might learn about me is that if you ask me something, Craig even alluded, Pastor Craig alluded to this. He asked me a question and I did not give him a yes or no answer. And most of you that know me intimately know that that tends to be how it goes. Most of the time, your question is going to be responded to by me with a question or a hundred. Because I'm not going to help You make a decision about something that I don't have all the information about. And some of you can't have anybody help you make authentic decisions in your life because you won't give them all the information. Yep. You put that one in your back pocket and take it home with you for later. And This is this is something that grown-ups do. Grown-ups, mature people, humble people will actually press into the deep places that they need to in order to really get the right answer immature, shallow, inauthentic people, fake people, will just make decisions all day long. I'm just gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna invest over here and I'm gonna have this job because it pays me $2 more and I'm gonna marry this person because they showed up and they want to and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And then their life is completely obliterated at the end of 200 terrible choices and then they tend to like show up either to God or to a preacher and they say, hey, help me untangle my stuff. Okay, there's there's 200 different root systems here and we gotta unpack them all. No, 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 just wave your magic hand over my situation and make all the bad go away. Okay, here's my options. I got a nine millimeter with a hollow point or we can do discipleship which one you want hollow point discipleship we're going to have to scrub that that's going to have to get scrubbed you two ain't gonna like that at all a defining characteristic of a hero is the humility to do the hard thing do you hear that word humility yeah. Ugh. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard, yum The humility to do the right thing. You know it takes humility to do the right thing and courage and bravery and, and, and why do you think so many people don't? If it was easy, if, uh, if the right thing was the easy thing everybody would do it. Heroes do. Hard things. Humanity is hardwired for the heroic. The heroic is an imprint that's been left inside of all of us because we are and were made in the image of our God. One of the reasons that his expectancy for you and your life and your fruitfulness is of such high order is because he knows what you're made out of you're made out of him Amen. Uh, some of you might most of you remember my uh, now in heaven stepdad who was like a father to me and he always he always told me that you know, one day when I die, you're gonna get this Al Camino. He had a 1971 Al Camino SS, I think it was. And it was a cool car. And he would, he would say, you know, one day when I die, you'll get this car. And I'm like, I don't give a rip about the car, and I don't really like the conversation about you dying. So let's just, I don't even want the car. It's a stinking truck that's a car. Which, which is it? <laughs> it's confused. It's just like most of the kids with their gender today. Are you a car? Are you a, I'm an SUV. No, you're not. You're a car truck. I'm like, I don't want it. Just stay alive. Do your thing. Like, you know, keep the car. So he passed away. Didn't listen to me. Rebellious! didn't listen to his pastor for nothing. So I got the car. And I didn't want the car. I wanted to get it prettied up and sell so mom could have the money. I don't want the car. And after after we started untangling all the stuff from Jim kind of surprisingly leaving the planet, which is kind of how he rolled. He was always a surprise. I got the car and I needed to go, you know, kind of get it ready to sell. And the battery was dead, literally the battery was so dead that I drove it out of the garage and got to the end of White Oak Blacktop and it stalled because it's a standard and I hadn't drove a standard in a while so I stalled it. I know, you guys are all more awesome than me, whatever, I stalled it. <laughs> and it wouldn't start because the battery was so dead. So I'm, sta- I'm at the end of the road in this really pretty car and I'm literally like standing outside the car, leaning up against it and this guy comes by who's like, a hundred and forty-seven in a truck that's older than him and he goes, he goes, what's wrong? I said, it won't start. He goes, do you not know how to start it? <laughs> if I say yeah, are you going to help me? And, he, you know, he got out just like a good old Midwestern old, old dude, and, and he gets out, and he has a literal battery jump pack behind his, the seat of his 200-year-old truck. <laughs> and he's like, it's probably the battery, ain't it? I'm like, well, you're smarter than me. I don't know. You tell me. Goes over, puts the jump pack on there, and I pop it off. And now I'm a little bit irritated because I'm behind schedule. Like, my schedule is, like, if I get off by five minutes, I'm, like, running and playing catch-up. And so I'm like, I gotta get this done, and I I'm taking it to GM because I needed to get some stuff for it. And so I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, well, this is an SS. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's right, Jim. It's right. <laughs> you can tell Jesus all you want. I'm driving it like an SS. And I drove it, baby. Got it to GM and I left it idling because I told him, hey, if you shut it off, it's done. And that sucker was rumbling and smoking and I, I almost got like a, a smile from it. I walked out and it was like, thanks, it was awesome. Yeah. It was meant to be drove that way, it was an SS, it's not even really a truck, it's a Malibu with a box, And so I drove it like it was meant to be drove. I drove it like an SS. When they built it, they built it to drive it that way. When your builder built you, when your creator created you, he created you the way that he created you to live the life that he intended for you to have. He wants you to drive your life like it's an SS. Do it right. All this cautious living. We want to bubble wrap the world and put a helmet on everybody. Go out there and live. Fear is telling you to put the helmet on. Jesus is telling you drive it like an SS. We will never know a person's real character until they are truly tested. You will never know Your character, your true character, and you will never know my true character until we're actually legitimately tested. Who you think you are is not who you are. Who you are in the middle of a terrible test is who you actually are. And the reality is, is that some of you have yet to be tested. And you will be. Everyone will be tested. Because you will be accountable for whether you pass or fail. And I know that there are so many people that struggle with the idea of God's not going to test me. Is he not going to test you for him or for you? You know, he knows. So when we get into tests, It is not because God needs to know what's in you. It's because God needs to show you what's in you. Man, if you get that, that that will fix a ton of bad doctrine that you probably heard in your former churches. God tests you, but not for him. For you. You need to know. You need to know. Because if you've lie to yourself, if you deceive yourself to thinking that you're all that in a bag of chips and then when you get to that testing point and you fall on your face and you break or you break someone else, God needs you to know that so that you don't arrogantly and pridefully go into some situation that can cause mass destruction. Heroes are the ones who pass the test. In Daniel chapter 5, this is a whole story, and I'm not going to do all of these things. But if you remember, there was a Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was ruling the kingdom. And, and his name was Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was this terrible trust fund kid. Terrible. Wicked, evil. Uh, drunken parties all the time, just blowing the whole kingdom, doing everything wrong, everything ungodly, and right in the middle of all this, he's having super huge party drunk fest, and a hand appears with no arm, no body. Don't you know that'll mess you up unless you're on LSD? And... Sorry, that was from the Jesus Revolution movie. I don't know why that. Come out. So this hand appears and writes on the wall, right in the middle of this big, huge party, mene, mene, tekel, uh, I can't remember the last word. Uh, yeah, that one. And it freaks out the party. Rightfully so. <laughs> you, you would be a little bit moved as well. And so everybody uh, uh, loses, their, loses their cookies and the, and the king, the emperor calls for all the wise people, all the, all the satraps, all of the, all the diviners, all of the, the spiritual folks that like to play with their Ouija boards and like, hey, figure out what this is all about because the word stayed, the arm left and the word stayed. There's a, there's a parallel there if you'd follow it. And so they brought in all the smartest people in the whole kingdom, and they couldn't figure it out to save their lives. And so now the king is like beside himself, like, what in the world am I paying all y'all for? And so then one of these guys had wisdom, check out the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world should say, hey, there's this guy in the kingdom who's really smart, we should call him you should be really smart so that the world looks at your life and they say, man, do we need them? And so they call Daniel. Daniel's obviously famous for doing this kind of stuff. And Daniel comes in, he's like, "Ah, I totally know what that is. He's like, well, if you interpret it for me and you tell me everything that it says, he's like, I'll give you riches and I'll give you, I'll make you number three in the kingdom. You'll be powerful. And this is like Daniel, this is like, Womp, 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 because he's already been there like three times, under three kings. And they all forget about him and then, you know, total typical world. Those of you that are going for the world's version of success and, and promotion and popularity, you do know that they're gonna forget about you. You're gonna be yesterday's trash at some point. And yet people still, you know, the Holly. who was your favorite Hollywood actor 22 and a half years ago? Because uh, it's just, favorite band? one hit wonder song you know like like oh, I remember that it's just fleeting it goes they bring Daniel in and Daniel's like hey look king I don't need your money I don't need your fame I don't need all your stuff but I'm going to tell you what happened because obviously God said that and so the many many and the takal part is the word um, that that rhymes or it's, it's close to an Aramaic word that means measure, and his interpretation of that word was, "You have been measured, and you have been found wanting." And the whole prophecy was, that "God gave you time. God gave you a chance to change and to repent. You have been weighed in the balances, and you have been found wanting." And then the last part of the prophecy was, "Because of that, God's taking the kingdom away. You are done." <laughs> and it to me the middle part of this prophecy is where there'd be an opportunity for all of us in this room to have some resonance in our heart. I want to be weighed and not found wanting. Now notice it wasn't wanting in the the same I don't want to say generic, but the same universal qualities that God gives to all mankind. We've all been given universal divine characteristics. You've all been made by the hand of God. You have all received the breath of life. We all have access to the Spirit of God. Everybody in here, you can get yourself a Bible or a thousand. So what's the difference between a man weighed and found one teen and a man weighed and passes the test? It's what they do with those assets. What are you doing with what you have? Most folks are just taking advantage of it. I live in a great place, I got high speed internet, I'm just gonna do a lot of entertainment. Eternal joy and divine success are destinations at the very end of the road. Of sacrifice if you need a copy of these notes they're back there but that statement needs some unpacking which I can't do right now if you want to have God's version of success if you want to reach the destination the road that you are traveling is called sacrifice loyalty and allegiance allegiance leads to courage courage fortifies love and authentic love always offers itself as a sacrifice. Jesus didn't offer himself as a sacrifice because he was Jesus and he had to be cool and be known for being a sacrifice. He offered himself as a sacrifice because that's what love does. Daniel 3:28 You might remember this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't know, read your Bible. Read your Bible! (laughs) If you can't read your Bible, then go on the Bible Project and watch all the stories that they make because it's hard to read. In Daniel 3.23, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. Who experiences the deliverance of God? No trusting, no deliverance. Man, I'd love to let that ruminate for a little while, but I gotta get moving. He delivered his servants who trusted in him. If you remember the story, they were thrown into a furnace, a fire, a furnace so big that it fit four people. This wasn't some little like, get in the oven, kid. This was some massive thing, probably bigger than this or as big as this pulpit. They were thrown into a furnace that was heated seven times over, it was heated so hot when they went to throw them in, the two guards that threw them in died instantaneously because they combusted. That's how hot this was. (laughs) And they threw these three kids in, they were kids, teenagers, (laughs) take that adults, they were teenagers that would not bow to the world system. They would rather die than bow their knee to the world system. And now we're dying to get the world system. In the church even, God bless us. They would not bow the knee. And so the king said, fine, you won't bow, you'll die. And they said, we'd rather trust God than bow our knee and trust your system. So they threw him in, bound hand and foot. The guys that threw him in died. There's a a word of warning for anybody that wants to put God's people in the wrong place. His servants who trusted in him were delivered because the king seen it with his own eyes. He looked down into the furnace and he said, behold, I thought we threw three dudes in there. I know behold and dudes don't really go together in the Bible, but stick with me. He said, but I actually see four people moving around in there and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Let me just say this. You don't say something looks like the Son of God because it's, Long-haired, blue-eyed, Hollywood, limp-wristed, 125 pounds, sitting on a rock, petting a sheep. When he said, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God, let me do it this way. Let's say that we were standing outside after a service and a horse ran down the street. Say, man, check out that horse. That's a good-looking horse. And then let's say right after that horse runs down the street, another horse, 200 foot tall. That takes up a block with each gallop. You wouldn't say, "Wow, look at that big horse." That's a big horse. You'd say, "Man, that must be God's horse." Right? Right? <laughs> the, when the king looked in the furnace, he said, there, "We threw three teenagers in there, and there's a fourth person in there, and that fourth person's like the son of God." I'm not saying he was big, tall, strong. I'm saying. That this, he was so shockingly different that even Nebuchadnezzar, the ungodly guy, was like, that's God's son right there. That's the one. And so they obviously were rescued by Jesus. The only thing the fire did was burn off their bondage. The only thing the fire did was burn off their bondage. And he, and he says, and who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word, your allegiant faith, your sacrificial life unto God will change the king's word. Man. Changed the king's word. We had a king here in Illinois that thought that he had a word about the church. And we, beloved, changed the king's words. I will not do portly jokes right now. And I've changed the king's word. And they yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. Notice his language. They yielded their bodies. They offered their bodies. This is sacrifice. They gave their bodies because they would not give their bodies to another God. So they gave their bodies to the fire, trusting God. And what did God do? He gave them back their bodies minus the bondage. We think that if we sacrifice something unto the Lord, we lose it. I'm here to tell you, what you sacrifice to God he burns it and purifies it and gives it back to you better than you ever thought possible Amen. Romans 12:2 therefore i urge you brothers on account of God on account of God mercy you know if you don't put that mercy part on there that's one chapter verse 1 yeah If you don't put that mercy on there, this becomes command, this becomes legalistic, this becomes you better. But the reason I'm urging you is on account of God's mercy. Knowing the character and the nature of God is absolutely vital, is necessary to the Christian life. This is why many people fail. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. Offer your what? Can I just write a check for the equivalent amount? People do it all the time. Okay, so I really don't want to go serve in the Swedish pancake thing, so, you know, what, what check will do? Mitch, what, what, what do you want, how much you want? What will get me out of it? What'll get me out of the sacrifice? And I'm not pick, if you don't wanna, man, I shouldn't even have said it. Please balance this in your own heart. But we're, this is how we think. Okay, I don't actually wanna do the sacrifice part. So what can I do instead of the actual sacrifice? Okay, so I don't wanna bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Because, I mean, God probably wouldn't be happy about that. Totally don't want to go in the furnace. That's a bad day. So what's the compromise here? What if I, would like, go to the bathroom during, during bow to the Nebuchadnezzar statue time? Right? Nobody will know. I'm in the bathroom. Right? What's the compromise that gets me out of not doing the really hard sacrificial thing and not doing the thing that I knew God's not going to be super happy about? And we do. this is where the average person lives. They live right in the gray. I am not going to be black because I'm not going to serve Satan. And I'm totally not going to be all white and be weird and, and hair on fire, wheels off like Steve. That guy's crazy. So what's gray? What's my gray? What's my shade of gray? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You know, we want to kill something and then give it to God. Right? We heard that. This, this is why you had to uh, be lovingly, gently guided to not give garbage to the auction. Because you, you know why we had to say that? Take a guess. You know how many times people have given us their garbage? Hey, I bet you the church could use this. Yeah, you're right. This 400-year-old pair of used underwear is something that we've been praying to God <laughs> that someone would bring and give to the church so that we could glorify God with your hand-me-down underwear. If it's not good enough for you, dear Jesus, please don't give it to God or to other people in the name of God. Holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What's your spiritual service of work worship? Your bodies. Offering your bodies. This, it, doesn't, it doesn't get more intimate than this. It doesn't get more precious to you than this. You know, if I take your money, you're like, Ugh, preacher. If I steal your car, You'll be depressed for three weeks. If I kicked your dog, let's oh, go there. If I even say something bad about somebody's pet, like they're mad at me for a lifetime. But your body, that's a do not go zone right there. Don't you dare. That's what God wants. He wants the best. He wants the part that means the most to you. This term, therefore I urge you, the therefore points to chapter 11, which is Paul teaching about the remnant church that's chosen by grace. And he does an incredible job in Romans 11 showing that God always has a remnant that he chooses. And then it says, I urge you, this is an invitation that they must accept from an act of their will. An act of your will. You can't be pressured, forced, made to accept this invitation. You either accept it with your will, with your free choice, or you don't. Amen. You must accept this as an act of your will. And what God's offering you is the opportunity to be His holy remnant people that He's desired all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. He's asking you, will you give me your body? This word urge is parakaleo in the Greek, and it means from a close position. Para means close or intimate, and kaleo is a call or a summons. So he's actually beckoning you, calling you, from an intimate place. It's like a whisper on the inside. Hey, will you come? Will you answer the call? This is an invitation from intimacy, speaking of leaning into trust and submission to the one calling. If you trust the voice or if you don't trust the voice. This insinuates the one being beckoned will be benefited from answering the appeal. This appeal from liberty, notice you have to give them your will. This appeal from liberty stands in direct opposition to the forced oppression from the world and its systems. You have got to get a job because you have got to provide for yourself right? You can't be like Stacy and quit your job. Crazy. Who does a thing like that? She's going to be broke. I just know it. She's going to be broke. I'm going to have to feed her. (laughs) And then I'm going to give her a good tongue lash and you shouldn't have quit that good job you had. Mm -hmm. Didn't your mama teach you nothing? Yeah, her mama taught her something and her father in heaven also taught her something else. The term on account of God's mercy is only used three times in this form. And one of those times is from 2 Corinthians 1, 3, where it says that the father of all mercies, plural, mercies, plural. This is actually a plural term for mercy. It shows that there is a uniquely divine virtue that is energizing the summons. It's the mercy of God that's energizing the call. Now, if you think about that, now it's not just like, come give me your body so you can sacrifice it and die. If it's the mercy of God that's beckoning you, there must be something trustworthy, beautiful behind the beckoning. The word mercy is oiktermon. Which means a compassion or a deep feeling about someone's difficulty or misfortune. So when you apply this to God, that literally means God has a feeling of compassion and empathy for your situation. Now I want you to think about that is a radical thought. That God has empathy, understanding of where you are in the human experience. He feels what you feel. He knows. Jesus was a man. He felt it. He knows what you're going through. Nobody knows what you're going through like God. Your spouse don't know. Your kids don't know. God knows. He feels it. And because he feels it, there's a unique mercy that he's using to call out to you from intimacy saying, hey, come give me your body. Offer me your body. Offer me the sacrifice of you. Because he knows your condition, because he knows what you're going through, because he knows the human experience, in that mercy, he's actually calling you out of it. He's saying, I know what it feels like to be in that. And I'm asking you to come over here. And we think that the call of God is something that's going to cost us. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be painful. It's going it's to add negative to our life. It's going to reduce our quality of life. It's going to reduce our quantity of life. If God wants me to go, if God calls me and he gets me all of it, he's going to send me to Africa where Steve was. And I'm going to have to go live in a mud hut and minister to those people. And I'm not going to have running water. I got news for you. If God in his mercy beckons you to Africa in a mud hut, you wouldn't want to live anywhere else on the planet. Yeah. That would be the greatest place that you ever stepped your foot. you step in, what is this? That's your calling. Welcome to the joy of your Lord. God's beckoning you from mercy. He's calling you out of your humanity into a way of life that's divine. The character and the image of God are always the unchanging and unshakable foundation from which all invitations are initiated. Every time you hear God talk to you, every time you hear God beckon you, every time you hear something where it's trying to compel you to move or change, always keep in mind it's coming from the character of God. The character of God is love, mercy, goodness, and grace. When that voice comes, it might shake you, it might convict you, it might not give you warm fuzzies about how you're living, but always remember the character of where the voice came from. And your response to that voice will be more likely to be followed through on. When you have a revelation of God's good and loving nature, all of His requests become opportunities. For benefits and growth. if God's asking you to do something for him it's not to reduce your life it's to bless your life offer your bodies as living sacrifices the word sacrifices here is thusia an offering for a deity amen he wants you to be a human sacrifice to, his, to him as God Amen. Yay. I'm glad we're following Yahweh. He wants me to kill myself for Him. Yep. An official sacrifice prescribed by God, hence, an offering the Lord accepts only because it's offered on His terms. So I have to die for God? Yep. Here's the cool part Jesus did all the hard part of the dying. Amen. You just have to lean into His death. He was crucified for you. Now all you need to do is you need to put faith in his crucifixion and then you can have Galatians 2.20 working for you. For you are crucified with Christ. But nevertheless you live. Yet not you. Christ lives on the inside of you. And the life that you now live, you live by the faith in the Son of God because he loved you. Because he loved you, he went to the cross that you were supposed to go to. Because he loves you, he's allowing you to put faith in his death instead of you becoming a dead sacrifice to him because he wants you to be a living sacrifice, not a dead one. You know what living means? Every part of you. Every part of you. What do you got? Well, all I got, I'm so poor, I'm so broke, I'm so destitute, I'm so terrible, all I got is my breath. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take your breath. Just give me your breath and watch what I can do with your breath. Then your breath turns into something else that turns into something else that turns into something else. And God did this amazing thing with your life that you never thought possible. I am. I'm out of time. I was I was nuked not like, probably about two months ago. I was nuked because I was thinking about it. I was listening to another person, and I had compassion on them. They were telling me all the things that happened to them during the pandemic, and I I went they you know I ministered to them and, and after they went away I'm like I could not imagine a better thing that could have happened in my life than the pandemic. Mm-hmm. These last three years. have been better by far, better by far than any other section of years that I've ever experienced. God took a loser, an absolute, complete, ignorant, self-centered jerk of a loser. And now I get to do things for God. I have a doctorate. Do you, if you knew where I came from, we, the most educated person in my entire family has an associate's degree. I wrote a book. I didn't even know how to talk in proper English not that many years ago. And some of you have heard me. What God was able to do with my life. And I am not even completely submitted, totally yielded. There's still some places in me that can be sacrificed. Amen? Anybody else? There's still some things I can give. But as long as I continue to live as a sacrifice unto him, he's going to show me his good and pleasing and perfect will. And he wants to show you. That's why the beckon, that's why the urging, that's why the call, the intimate call is believe in my mercy and come follow me. Give me your body. Give me everything you got and watch what I do with it. This, isn't, this is a beckoning for you as well.